My name is Mike Wittig. I'm the pastor of student ministries here. And so I, student pastors, we get a little exception, an exemption, you know. So I'm a little different. I hope that's okay. I'm what's known as a hollerback preacher. So what that means is I'll say something, and if it's okay, if it's good, we're going to just recreate uh, student ministry night, all right? If it's okay, you guys say amen, or that's good, or that'll preach, or for the bold, you can stand up and say, that's so good, I wish my husband was here to hear that. Whatever you want, all right? So we're going to practice on three. You guys got it in your mind what you want to say? One, two, three. Let's do it again and get ready. You guys ready? One, two, three. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Amen. I'm so glad to be with you. I am so honored to be here and to open up God's word and to celebrate Jesus with you. You know, worship didn't end right here. It's going on to the next few minutes. Isn't that great? We're going to celebrate and worship Jesus. And I want to give you a quick student ministry update. There are, if you're a student here, there's only five weeks left of student ministry this school year. So if you're on the fence, if you've never come and you want to try it out, there's five weeks. You got to come one of these five weeks. I guarantee you, you'll have a great time and will make you feel right at home. And I have some encouraging news for those of you in this church who support us and help make what we do happen. God is doing amazing things in student ministry, in the lives of students across our area. You know, it, for me, it's been the most incredible year of ministry I've ever experienced to see what God has done. Students meeting Jesus for the first time. Other students growing in their faith. Leaders developing, maturing as leaders. And we all live in this culture. You guys watch the news. You likely all have internet access. You know what it's like right now in our culture. And you would assume in the culture we live, God can't move in the heart of a teenager. You know, times have changed too much. But I'm here to announce this morning that God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's still reaching young people. He's still reaching students. Jesus is still attractive. His love still draws us in. Jesus never goes out of style. Doesn't matter what culture is doing. We all still need his love. We're all hardwired for that love. And God is saving students. He's reaching students all across this region. So be encouraged, church. Be encouraged. God will not be silent. He will not be forgotten. We can push him aside, try and marginalize him. But he is moving and he is working. He is working. He's still changing lives. He's still a God of resurrection, a God of hope a God of second chances, a God of grace. And there's some folks in this room, you need a second chance. You need grace. Your relationship needs resurrection. And I want to say to you, you are in the right place. Not because of me or Pastor Steve or the elders or anybody around you, but you're in the right place because of the one whom we worship. Amen. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ. You know, I can't mend your broken heart. I can't do it. No one around you can do it. But I know a man who can. I can't cause your wayward son to come back home. 
I can't fix a hurt that that causes and it lays on your heart right now, but I know a man who can. I can't remove the shame that you carry over your life from what was done to you years ago. I'm not qualified for that. But I know a man who can. I can't give you peace in the midst of the biggest storm of your life, but I know a man who can. I can't give you joy in the toughest of circumstances, but we know a man who can. I can't redeem your soul, but we know somebody who can. His name is Jesus. He's the only begotten Son of God. He's the builder and sustainer of all things. He's the creator and the completer. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He's Mary's baby. He's the promised, prophesied savior of the world. And he's been given a name that is above every name. And whether you like it or not, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. Can we do that this morning? Can we give Jesus a shout of praise? I'm saying, church, Jesus can help you. You're here, you need help. Welcome to the club, we all do. That's why we're here. He can help you. He can heal you. He can redeem you. He can restore you. Your mistakes are no match for his mercy. Your guilt is no match for his grace. Your failure that you feel right now in your heart that makes you feel like you're not qualified to sit where you are, that's no match for his forgiveness. You cannot out his grace. You cannot outrun his love. You cannot outmatch his mercy. And if you've made a mistake, I want you to know you're in the right place. Not because of us, but because of him. Welcome to the club. A collection of sinners, a collection of people who are so messed up, we can't do this on our own. We need help. Becoming a Christian is acknowledging, I can't do this on my own. I need a savior. Welcome to church. Welcome to Bethel Church. We're glad you're here. Come back next week. Welcome. Jesus can take what is broken and make it beautiful. He can bring hope to the hurting, help to the helpless, deliverance to the desperate. You know, Jesus, I love Jesus because he first loved me. I love him because he's the only one I know who can take a bloody cross and turn it into an empty grave. He's the only one I know who can take a tragedy and turn it into triumph. He can take your test and turn it into your testimony. Is there anybody in this room with a testimony that wants to give Jesus some praise? Yes. He can bring greatness out of that great mess. And that's a super cheesy statement, but it's great theology. It is from his word we were created, know that. It is by his grace that we breathe, and it is for his glory that we live. It is from his word we were created. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. It is by his grace, grace that we are even breathing, breathing here this morning, and it is for his glory that we live. It is all about Jesus. It's all about him. So let's go to God the Father in prayer through the name of Jesus Christ, under the banner of Jesus Christ. Come boldly before him because of what Jesus has done for us. Will you guys pray with me? 
Father, this morning we are expectant, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is already in this place and we are expectant that you're gonna move in our hearts, that you're gonna change us, that when you open your word and lift up your son, you're gonna speak to us now. God, speak to our hurting hearts, speak to our pain, speak to our wounds. Lord, I'm speaking to a room with broken hearts, broken dreams, broken relationships, broken lives, believing, having witnessed that you are a God of resurrection, that you are a God of new life, that you can restore, that you can heal, and we ask now that you would do it again in our hearts. We ask that you would change us, that we would leave here this morning, not the same, but changed in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You guys glad to be here this morning? You ready to continue worshiping Jesus? As a church, we are going through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have a Bible, you could turn there. It's a small book in the Old Testament written by a man named Solomon. Now, Solomon was a very wise man. He had everything. That thing that you want out of life, he had it. Success, power, women, influence, wisdom, all of it. He had it all, money. Yet he writes the book of Ecclesiastes out of a pain. It's a very open, transparent book, and he's writing about his emptiness. All his exploits, and he still found himself empty. All his conquests, he still didn't feel complete. All his successes, and he still doesn't feel satisfied. And today we're going to look at chapter 4 of that book, Ecclesiastes 4. In chapters 1 through 3, Solomon is writing from his kind of ivory tower, if you will. And he's thinking deeply about things, and he's writing about them. In chapter 4, he comes down from his tower and begins to walk amongst the people. And he sees the toil, the heartache, the hurts, the pains and that's the backdrop for chapter four. He sees that and he writes about it. And a lot of discouraging things he sees, but there is one glimmer of hope. He sees the value and importance of community. He says, we need each other, guys. And if you've been to a wedding, you might have seen this verse used. He says, one chord by itself, when hard times come, it's easily broken. Midnights come, storms come. If we're on our own, it could crush us. It could break us. Solomon says what we need, we need each other. Two cords together have a better chance. And he says, but a three-strand cord, three strands, not easily broken. What that means for us this morning is we need each other. We aren't called to do the Christian life alone because hard times are going to come. Darkness is going to come, and you need some friends in your life that are going to help you walk through those times. We need each other. That's great advice, Solomon. Great advice. And that's the backdrop for our text this morning. We'll be in verse 13, Ecclesiastes 4, 13. I'll be talking about the greatest ability. Solomon writes, better was a poor and a wise youth than an old and foolish king 
who no longer knew how to take advice. He went from prison to the throne. Though in all his kingdom he had been born poor, I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end to all the people of all of whom he led, yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity, a striving after the wind. And I want to zone in, zoom in on verse 13. Better was a poor and a wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. And I work with students, so as I was reading this chapter, that's the verse that really jumped out at me. Verse 13, he's talking about wise teenagers and foolish kings. You can be healthy, wealthy, influential, powerful. You can be a president. You can own your own business. You can have amassed great wealth, have great success, and you can be a fool. That's what he's saying. A fool. You can have nothing. You can be a middle schooler trying to figure out who you are, but be hungry to learn. Have a desire to learn and listen and be wise. Be wise. Why is the king described as a fool? Do you guys catch it? Did you catch it? It's because he doesn't take advice. He's a king now. When you reach that status, why would you need to listen, right? He's too proud. He's too arrogant. He knows it all. Maybe you know that person in your life. If your spouse is here and it's Sam, don't look at them right now. But maybe you know somebody who's too proud to take advice. You never listen. That's been me sometimes. That's been me sometimes. Oftentimes, it's me. Maybe it's you. Too proud to listen. So in contrast with a foolish king who won't take advice, who won't listen, the wise teenager does what? Does listen. Does take advice. He may be poor, but he's asking questions. He takes a posture of learning. She's hungry to learn. Solomon says, even though this teenager is unproven, has nothing to their name, they can barely even shop at Plato's closet, she's wise. She's wise. This shows us that wisdom does not just come from age. We often assume because someone's older, they're wise. Wise does not mean well-educated. Wise does not mean you have a prestigious degree or you're wealthy. Wise means you're teachable. Wise means you're adjustable. It means you can listen. It means you're not set in your ways. It means you want to learn. And there are students in this church who embody this. Middle schoolers, high schoolers who are hungry to learn. They come on Sunday mornings. They take notes. They come on Tuesdays and Thursdays. They're taking notes. They're asking questions. They're reading books. They're listening to podcasts. They're listening to sermons. Solomon says they're wise. And he contrasts them with someone who's prominent and wealthy who refuses to listen. And I've titled this message, The Greatest Ability. So what is the greatest ability? If you look at our culture, look at what we value, view the TV ratings, many would say the greatest ability is athletic ability. We love our athletes, right? All the bosses in this room 
Bosses, if you're here, make some noise. Anyone? Boss? No? They don't want to show themselves. Understand. Understandable. Bosses would say, maybe the greatest ability is dependability. Hey, show up on time. Come to work on time when you say you will. Do what you're supposed to do. That's definitely a good thing. Politicians. Anyone love politicians in this place? Make some noise. Not, not going to happen. Okay. Politicians. If you really were to talk to them, if they were to be honest, okay, let's assume they were to be honest, they would say the greatest ability is electability. I'll do anything to get elected. That's the goal. That's what I live for. That's my purpose, to be elected. I want to propose to you this morning the greatest ability is teachability. Teachability. Think about it. None of us are where we need to be. None of us have reached our full God-given potential. If we have, God would have taken us out. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. God has a plan for your life. He has something he needs you and wants you to do. There's a reason you're here. And so with that in mind, we need to be teachable, adaptable, humble enough to learn. Humble enough to learn. If not, we hit a ceiling based only on what we know. We ceiling out. We don't reach our potential. This is the foolish older king. I mean, he reached this amazing platform. He's a king. You and I would think if we're president, that's it. We've reached the top. He's a king, yes. He's influential, yes. He's powerful, yes. But he stopped learning. He stopped listening. He stopped seeking wise counsel. Therefore, he's a fool. He's not teachable. David Murray, who is a man who, Lord willing, will be here in a few months to speak to us. He's a pastor. I read a few of his books. Awesome guy. He writes about this, and he says this. There is one characteristic that separates the successful from the unsuccessful in every walk of life. Teachability. Those who are teachable and remain so usually succeed. The unteachable usually fail. I've seen that in business, I've seen it in ministry, I've seen it among students, and I've seen it in my children. No matter how much talent and gifting we have, if we are or become unteachable, we will never reach anywhere near our potential in our careers, our callings, or our relationships. And there's another word for teachability. The long pause. Humility. Humility. Think about this. Christians are called to be under the authority of God and his word. We are not to master the Bible. It's supposed to master us. We are subject to God's word. And the Christians who are made into the image and likeness of Jesus, that happens because they subject themselves to what God says. And in that, he grows us. But pride is the enemy of teachability. Pride says, I want to make the Bible say what I want it to say, what I feel comfortable with it saying. Teachability says, teach me, God, your ways. Show me what you got for me today. Help me walk this path today. Teachability. Solomon says, better was a poor and a wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Tom Brady, LeBron James, Steph Curry. Anybody know who those guys are? He knows. Those are three of the greatest athletes alive right now. You know what all three have in common? They all have a coach. They're all teachable. They're moldable. They still are hungry to learn. Roy McElroy, Jordan Spieth, Jason Day. Anyone know who those guys are? 
They are perhaps the top golfers in the world, masters of their craft, the greatest right now alive. You know what all three of those men have in common? All three have a swing coach. Isn't that crazy? He's got the greatest swing in the world, and some guy who's not as good is coaching him on how to make it better. There's a humility there, a teachability there. These guys are the greatest in the world. Why would they do that? And I want to propose to you, they are the greatest in the world because they do that. Because they are willing to learn. They haven't stopped learning. My son is in kindergarten. His name's Lincoln. He's amazing. And he's grown so much this year as a kindergartner. And I got a report card, though. The first report card came in a few months ago when school started. I got to read to you what the teacher told me. Lincoln has very strong opinions about how things should be done in school. <laughs> he gets that from his dad. A five-year-old is stepping into kindergarten telling them, you need to do this, and teacher, you need to listen to me here. Five years old. How outrageous, right? We all look, that's so silly. It took a few weeks, and he figured out, like, well, wait a minute. This teacher has something to teach me. Once he figured that out, his growth, growth has been amazing. He's learning to read. He's learning to speak better. His growth pattern is incredible, but it took a few weeks to learn. I don't know everything. Here's somebody in my life who can teach me something. Teachability. They asked Larry King. You guys know who Larry King is? Hashtag suspenders. Anyone know him? Larry King. They asked him, uh, how, how are you the best at what you do? What makes you a great interviewer? You want to know what he says? He says, I remind myself every morning, nothing I say this day will teach me anything. So if I'm going to learn, I must do it by listening. That's some wisdom. You guys catch that? Nothing I say is going to teach me anything. Are you teachable? Are you humble? Are you hungry to learn? One of my mentors told me this week, he says, perhaps the greatest ability you can give your son is not just the ability to read, but a desire and a passion to read. The greatest gift I could give him is a passion to learn, a hunger to learn. Parents, let's teach our kids to be hungry to learn, to be teachable, to want to grow. And we come here on Sundays to worship Jesus, right? The Son of God, the Savior of the world, God wrapped in flesh. Did you know even Jesus listened? Even Jesus listened. There's not much said about Jesus in his teenage years. We have a lot about his early years and a lot about his ministry. There's one story, though when Jesus was 12 years old. And you might know the story. His parents lose him for three days. If you've seen Home Alone, I always picture the mom from Home Alone freaking out about Kevin, you know, and the dad's like, oh, relax. Well, Mary's freaking out. Joseph's saying, oh, he's 12. He'll be fine. She's freaking out, tearing through everybody, lighting up your Facebook page, trying to find baby Jesus. Where is he? 12 years old. After three days, they find him now. If my son was lost for 10 minutes, this place would go in lockdown. Helicopters would descend from the sky. Alarms would be going off. We're all staying here until, you know. But three days he's gone. Three days. And here's what happens. Luke 2, 46. They do find him. Most 12-year-olds, man, if you escape from dad and mom for three days, hello. But here's where Jesus is. After three days, they found him in the temple 
sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. That's my king. That's my God. He was in the temple, hungry, teachable, learning, asking questions. Jesus, the son of God, took a posture of listening. Amazing. And check out Luke 2, 52, a few verses down. It says, Jesus learned and he grew. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. God, who has always been God and who always will be God, stepped into humanity. He took a posture of humility. He listened and he grew. Isn't that amazing? That's Jesus. You know, we have in our heart, oh, I, I got it all figured out. Jesus didn't have that pride in his heart. He wanted to listen. He modeled for us teachability. Are you teachable? Just let that question rest in your heart. Ask yourself. Or what areas are you not teachable? What areas can we improve? And what areas can we become more like Jesus in that way? In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about this teenager who was young but hungry to learn and wise. And, and no surprise, if you remember, we read the, read the verses, this teenager grew in wisdom. And at one time, he'd even been in jail. So he had this bad record. Yet somehow, he was so hungry to learn, he became king, it says. And I want to read to you verse 16. Now, I work with teenagers. You can see the ones that are hungry to learn. And I tell them, you're going somewhere. A teenager who's hungry to learn who's hungry to ask questions, this guy became king. It says, verse 16, there was no end to all the people, all of whom he led. People want to follow somebody who's hungry to learn, hungry to grow, and they follow this guy. But at the very end of 16, Solomon writes, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after the wind. What that means is, this guy was amazing. This guy modeled humility, modeled listening, modeled teachability. He grew up, became king. People followed him. People loved him. At the end of the day, he still dies. People stop caring about him after he's gone. He was ultimately forgotten. His influence diminished. He faded into memory. And that's Solomon's discouragement. That's his despair in this chapter. And I was thinking about his despair this week. And, you know, I think he's right. Of course he's right. The best of leaders do fade away. Their insights are forgotten. Their wisdom loses cachet. But there is one exception to that rule. There is one wise teenager who grew in favor with God and man who would not be forgotten. There's a king of wisdom whose influence will not be diminished, has never been diminished. It has only increased. Whose impact has never waned, it has only grown. Whose insights have never gone out of style. Of course, we're talking about Jesus in this place. Jesus, that's why they call him the king of kings. The wisdom of God wrapped in the flesh. Let me read some verses to you. I love how scripture describes Jesus here. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom 
of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the wisdom of God. Yes, Solomon, you're right. Most kings, even great kings, fade away. They are forgotten, fade into memory. Their reign diminished, but not this king, not the king of glory, the king of all kings. That's my king. That's my king. Jesus never goes out of style. I love that about him. He, his truths are still speaking to people, still changing lives today. He's never out of touch with our needs. He's never out of touch with a human condition, with the hurt in our heart. No one like Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. And I came across this word from an old preacher named S.M. Lockridge. He's an old fire-breathing kind of preacher, amazing orator, and he talks about Jesus in a way that I just thought was amazing, and I wanted to read it to you. I could never write something this good, so I thought I would read it to you, but I need your help, all right? We're going to have some interaction. You guys ready? You ready? So I'll say his name is Jesus, and if he's your king, and we're worshiping him this morning, say, that's my king, all right? You guys got it? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Oh, you guys are ready, third service. We're ready to go. You guys ready to worship? Here we go. Here we go. Help me out. Help me out. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's empirically, powerfully, and impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of the world. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. His name is Jesus. Yes, you guys are getting it. He does not have to call for help. He doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. He's unique, he's unparalleled, he's unprecedented, he's supreme, he's preeminent. His name is Jesus. Is he your king this morning? He can satisfy all your needs. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. And if you're tempted and tried this morning, he's available to you. He sympathizes and he sees. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He regards the aged. I'm trying to tell you, church, his name is Jesus. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway to glory. I'm trying to tell you, church, that's Jesus is my king. His name is Jesus. Getting a little carried away. He's awesome. His name is Jesus. Oh, I love my job, guys. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. 
He's the head of the heroes. Come on, somebody. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's a prince of princes. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. He has no predecessor. He'll have no successor. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. His name is Jesus. Oh, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's the giver of life. He's the joy out of every sorrow. He's the light of every darkness. He's the peace that passes all understanding. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. There is no God before him. There'll be none after him. He is the first. He is the last. He is preeminent. His name is Jesus. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable because he's incomprehensible. You can't outlive him. And let me tell you right now, you cannot live without him. Pilate couldn't trap him. The cross could not hold him, and praise God, the grave could not keep him. His name is Jesus. Can we give Jesus a Bethel church shout of praise in this place? That's my king. He's awesome. If you don't know him, get to know him. He'll change your life. If you see people around you going crazy, it's because he's changed our life. You cannot overestimate his love for you, his desire that you know him, that you have a relationship with him. And he's calling on some hearts in this room right now. He's saying, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, I'm gonna give you rest. I'm what you're looking for. He's what Solomon was looking for and he's what you're looking for this morning. He is the wisdom of God. And yet he sat down and listened to us He was teachable. He took this posture of learning. He's the king of kings, the king of glory, the only begotten son of God, yet he took the form of a servant and he walked among us. He carried our shame to the cross and died for us. And I agree with David Murray. I believe the greatest ability is teachability. And another word for teachability is humility. It's the greatest because if Jesus Christ had not humbled himself, we would not be sitting here. We would not be redeemed. We'd have no hope. If you need hope, his name's Jesus. Hope has a name. Purpose has a name. Forgiveness has a name. Grace has a name. Love has a name, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus took a posture of humility. He lowered himself so that we could be raised with him to the glory of God the Father. That's my king. That's why it's all about Jesus. Let's go in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we ask as we leave that you would impress upon our hearts the glory and majesty of your Son, Jesus Christ. May we leave here changed because of who he is and what he's done for us. May it change our Sunday afternoon, but also change our Monday. May you teach us, Lord, to take a posture of humility, a posture of teachability, so that our lives can become more all about him. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen.